0: Uh, thank you for joining with us again as we uh, return to our Head, Heart, Hands series. Uh, this series, as we've said many times now over the last six or seven weeks, uh, is really to try to help us grasp what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, as we saw right back uh, from our very first week in James 1.22, following Jesus is about our heads, our hearts and our hands. James writes there, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Uh, and so it's clear that, yes, we are to listen to, our, to the word of God. We are to engage with God's teaching with our minds. That is a good thing to do. And we're to seek to grow in our knowledge and our understanding of His Word, but that's not where discipleship ends. We're to allow what we learn to then impact our lives. We do what it says and to consistently and effectively live out what we read in God's word, then we've got to allow our hearts to be motivated in the direction that God wants us to go by how he teaches us. So our hearts are captivated by the wonderful good news we see in his word, and therefore our hands, our lives are transformed by his, his work within us. So we live out what we learn. Uh, as we've said before, we know God's truth, so it captivates our emotions and determines our actions. And throughout this series we've been taking a look at then some of the basics of the Christian faith as we see in scripture. What does God teach us about following Him, about who He is, what does He say, and then how are we changed by that word? And we're using the framework of our church doctrinal statement and today we get to the topic of humanity. What does God's Word teach us about being human? And to help us with that exploration, we're going to think particularly about what we can learn from God's Word about humanity as we see it in the very beginning. Uh, So we're going to spend a good portion of our time in the first few chapters of the Bible in the book of Genesis as we see God's design for his world and particularly then humanity which he placed upon it. Uh, And so without wanting to sound too basic or too simplistic, we're going to spend most of our time this morning enjoying the reality that humanity is created. That's a significant thing, as we'll come to see. We shouldn't brush past that. Of course, we know from the first two chapters of Genesis that all of what God creates is good and perfect and beautiful. Yet, as we continue past Genesis 1 and 2, we see that sin enters the world. We see the world is then fractured and distorted. Uh, What God created as good is then misused. Uh, And so we'll recognize that humanity is not only created, humanity is sinful. But but even the creation narrative of Genesis 1, 2, and 3 doesn't end with that hopeless picture of sin. Uh, Even in the Garden of Eden, there's a foretaste of the defeat of sin and evil and the devil himself. And so the story of the Bible goes on to show that God rescues, God redeems those who repent. And the whole story of Scripture tells us that humanity, because it is sinful, humanity must repent. And so that's the direction that we're going to go this morning. As I said, we're going to spend the majority of our time in that first point That humanity is created. And so, after maybe 15 minutes or so, if we're still talking about creation, don't panic. Uh, We will get to the end. But this is an exciting topic. Uh, And so, I don't want to rush through what God has to teach us this morning. So, let's begin uh, by considering the reality that that humanity is created. Uh, And we're going to read Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to jump in at verse 24, which means that we're jumping into the, the end of the account almost of God creating the entire universe. Uh, and this, in some ways, is way too vast for us to comprehend, yet, yet it should lead us to wonder. that We see right from Genesis 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It, it's stated so simply in some ways, but let's not rush our way through that. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, before there was anything else, God was there. God stands outside of time, outside of space, outside of any physical limitation that we know. God was there in the beginning. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything that there is and was and will be. And he created everything before there was anything. He created everything out of nothing. This is the wonderful God, the creator God, who we come to worship and serve and learn from this morning. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then onto and around the earth, he creates everything that there is. He creates light, sky, land, vegetation, seasons, the moon, the stars, all the living creatures in the sea and in the air, and then we get to day six, which is where we're going to pick it up. And in verse 24, we're going to start reading from God's word. Genesis 1, verse 24. And God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, God said, let us make mankind. And then in verse 27, so God created mankind. God created mankind. We we are created. And and the point of recognizing that, that we are created is that it automatically helps us to marvel at our creator. You see, to know that we are created then casts our gaze towards him. And as we do, as we appreciate his creation design in us and in each other and in his good world, then we're drawn to humble ourselves before him, to to give him the praise that he alone deserves. He is our creator. We are simply created. How good he is. How powerful he is. How how creative and ingenious he is. The one who flung stars into space, yet knits DNA together in each and every one of ourselves within our bodies. What what majestic and limitless God we worship and serve who has created us. And so in, in sight of him, how right it is that we recognize our position within his creation. In some ways, our smallness, our our, our created limitations. And that's not meant to make us feel bad about ourselves. It's meant to make us marvel at the one who created us. See, when we realize our smallness, when we realize our dependence, it's a reminder to us of the unlimited God that we worship. The one who made us, the one who leads us then to... To seek him, to depend on him, to praise him and worship him fully. Because he created. He created everything. And he chose to create us too. So we are created. Humanity is created. And that reality should show us at least two things that we should know. That we should know our value because we're created. And we should know our purpose because we're created. And we'll unpack these as we see them through Genesis 1. And so thinking about our value, how how does being created help us to know our value? Well, look at verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God created mankind in his image. We talked about this a little bit when we looked at the Trinity. But that is an incredibly significant thing. It sets us apart from the rest of creation. Nothing else in all of creation is made in the image of God other than humanity. And there's lots that we could say about that. Lots that we could think of about what it means to be made in the image of God. But having a right understanding that every, each and every human being is made in the image of God then has huge implications for how we live our lives. You see, this is the reason, knowing that, that humanity and every single human being is made in the image of God, that then dictates our understanding of life, matters of life and death. And so those, those issues that are sometimes contentious in our world, like abortion or euthanasia, those are informed by our understanding from God's word that every human being from conception to death is made in the image of God. Therefore, every human being has an value and dignity and worth immeasurable value because they carry the image of God. And so how can it be right that we would take a life that God has given unique value to a a life that images him, a life that he has made. See, when we hold this high view of the image of God in each and every human being, it also then completely dispels any grounds that we may have for, for racism, for sexism, for anything that devalues or depersonalizes another human being, another human being made in the image of God. And so God's people as we, as we are people of His Word, then we should be living in a way that honors and respects and upholds the dignity and sanctity of each and every life. Because every human being is made in the image of God. Male and female, He created them. And, and now before I move on, let, let me say that we have all fallen short in some way. We, we, we have all made choices or had thoughts about others that, that go against what we've just been talking about. We've all made made assumptions about people or made judgments about people. Sorry, I'm assuming we all have because I have. So Many of us have made assumptions about people and value judgments on people that don't value the image of God in that person. So all of us in the room, anyone listening to this, we are all sinners, as we'll see in a few minutes. We are only saved by grace and grace alone. None of us are pretending to be perfect None of us are saying we've got all of this sorted and never made any errors in in how we value and look at other people. But it is only God who can rightfully sit in the place of judgment. And it is only God who has provided forgiveness for all sin. And so if, if there's some of those issues that have been part of your life in the past, maybe even still are part of our lives, then know that God's grace is sufficient. That he is seeking, if we come to him, if we repent, if we turn to him, if we give our lives to him, then he is seeking to move and mold us into his likeness. And so he's willing to give and ready to give forgiveness for all and any sin that we come to him with. And so some of those issues are contentious, I understand that. But God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created the Male and female, he created them. And so as his people Let's be people who value other human beings made in his image. There's one more thing I want to pick up from Genesis 127 that speaks about our value as human beings. And it's in that second half. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You see, male and female, God created them. Both male and female made in his image. Both male and female, therefore, equally carrying the same value and worth as image bearers of God Almighty. And so we as Christians then, we should endorse and celebrate that equality of value, yet also recognize God's distinct created difference between male and female. And, and those differences existed before sin did. And so we have to remember that being created in the image of God means that he created male and female equally valued in his sight, yet different from one another, distinct from one another, complementing one another. And so we have to remember that being different from is not being lesser than. So God created distinction between male and female. Biologically, we know that to be true. There there are differences created in us, physical and hormonal, that I'm not going to get into, but we know that there are differences between the genders. And so these differences are, are meant to, they are part of God's created design. And indeed, it's those differences when we read there that, that God gave the command to be fruitful and increase in number, that is his command to Adam and Eve to have children. And it is only when those differences that he created in male and female, when they come together as husband and wife come together in sexual intimacy, that life can be created. The, the distinct differences between male and female should be celebrated. And so we recognize that male and female, he created them. Different in role and design, different in in. In lots of ways, but equally holding the God-given value and dignity. Now, now, we'll think about this a few minutes. in a few minutes when we consider the impact of sin on God's design. But, but for now, let's celebrate the, the wonder of every person, male and female, made in the image of God. And therefore, having inherent dignity and remarkable value bestowed upon them, not by us, but by their creator. And so as his created beings, we need to know our value. Secondly, as, as we recognize our created status, we also need to know our purpose. You see, in the creation narrative which we read in Genesis 1 and 2, we see a couple of times, let's pick it up actually for verse 26, when God's talking about, let us make mankind in our own image, in our likeness, so that There's a purpose here, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over the wild animals and over the creatures that move along the ground. We see it again in verse 28 of chapter 1. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. We see it again in chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So so there's this repeated pattern, this repeated idea of having a a ruling and caring and stewarding role over God's creation. Indeed, that's part of what it's made to be made in his image. the, The image of the sovereign king of the universe is that he has created us, humanity, to tend to his creation. So he's placed humanity on the earth to have dominion, to have rule, to have authority over the created order. And of course, as we'll see in a moment, sin again comes in. Uh, And that perfect creation picture of Genesis 1 and 2 uh, is distorted, if not destroyed. But but the potential misuse of God's good gift and command to rule and have dominion over creation, it, it shouldn't cloud the reality that we are created for a purpose. God created humanity, and in doing so, he created humanity with value, and he created humanity with purpose. And so... We are not accidental. We are not insignificant. God has created us. God created humanity. And so we have value and we have purpose. And in both of those things, in our value and our purpose, they should cause us those who, who believe in God's Word, who follow Him, that those should cause us to worship. But but I actually want to zoom out a little and realise that those two things are are actually point us to another majestic truth, which is again worthy of praise. Um, You see, to know that we are created, we have value, we have purpose—they actually show that we are created to be in relationship with our Creator. And perhaps you think that sounds obvious, but but please don't let the simplicity of those words take away from the wonder of that truth—that we are created to be in relationship with our Creator. God created humanity to glorify himself and to glorify himself by enjoying relationship with him. That's the the, the wonderful picture we see in Genesis 1 and 2. God's creation in unbridled relationship with their creator. And that is good news. It's a wonderful picture. And it sounds too big for us to fathom, but, but it's a truth that we are to know. We are created to be in relationship with our creator. And knowing that truth it, it should make our hearts sing for joy. We are created. And therefore we should know our value. We should know our purpose. Because we're created to enjoy relationship with our creator. But. As we know that the story of the Bible. Shows that God's perfect creation becomes fractured. As humanity reject the good and loving rule of God. And instead choose to go their own way. They, they disobey him. And his commands, even though his commands are the thing that give life. They seek their own pleasure, despite true joy only being found in genuine, faithful relationship with him. In other words, humanity sins. And because Adam and Eve sin, then all of humanity is cursed as sinful. Humanity is sinful. I want to pick this up again in Genesis chapter 3, where we are introduced to the serpent, the snake, the deceiver, the devil, as we saw a couple of weeks ago. And the devil comes and questions God's goodness. He makes great promises to Eve that things won't be as bad as God suggested. God told them clearly. And humanity, men and women, choose the path of disobedience. And in doing so, they simultaneously reject God's good path for their lives. And so let's pick it up again in verse 6 of chapter 3. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom... She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Uh, And and that verse, particularly verse 7, is incredibly painful when we realize the very last verse of chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 25, Adam and his wife were were both naked, and they felt no shame. And yet they sinned. And shame enters the world. They've turned from God's good ways and they feel shame. Uh, And as we continue through chapter 3, as we will do, we see that every relationship that had been created as good and profitable is, is now damaged in some ways. To put it this way, and we'll look briefly at each one of these three, that the relationship with God is fractured, relationship with others is fractured, relationship with creation is fractured. And so as we think of the relationship that humanity was created to enjoy with God, we see that being damaged by sin. We see in verse 8 and 9 that God comes walking in the garden. Uh, And the assumption is even that that was just a normal practice, that in the cool of the day, God came walking to find uh, the man and the woman. And yet let's read verses 8 and 9. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And so this shame of sin had now fractured the relationship that humanity had enjoyed with God. Adam and Eve knew they had done wrong. They knew they weren't worthy then to be in the presence of this holy, life-giving God. And that's what sin does. It casts us from the presence of our Creator, Heavenly Father. The New Testament writer Paul puts it so elegantly, yet also so devastatingly, in verses that we read often here Ephesians 2. Let me just read the first three verses. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Just to hear these verses and see the impact of sin on our relationship with our Father. We were dead in our transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. You see, sin means that we deserve wrath. Sin brings spiritual death. And so we can no longer be in the presence of God. And indeed, that sin that separates us, condemns us to an eternity of punishment for that sin, Our sin must rightly be judged by the holy God who created the world whom we're sinning against. And so without his glorious intervention that we'll see in a moment, we are due to pay the penalty of that sin for all eternity in hell. We are by nature deserving of wrath. Or as Romans uh, 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. And so the result of sin, the, the, the relationship to humanity was created to enjoy with God is fractured. And in some ways, that is the key in, in, in any way. That is the key relationship that is damaged by sin. But it then flows out and has impact on all of our other relationships. So let's think briefly about our relationship with others. See, getting back to Genesis 3 in the garden, man and woman, they're hiding from God, which, which of course is never going to work. Um, but as they're hiding, God finds them and wonders why they're different. Why are they hiding? Why have they covered their nakedness? Uh, and let's pick it up in verse 12. The man said in response to God's question. The man said, "The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it." Then the Lord God said to the woman, "What is this you have done?" The woman said, "The serpent deceived me and I ate it." Did you spot that? God asks Adam, "What did you do?" And he instantly turns to blame his wife. He turns to Eve and says, "Woman, what have you done?" And she instantly turns to blame the serpent. You see, the idea is that the beautiful harmony that had been in the created order is destroyed. That that untarnished union between man and woman is is destroyed. And God continues to explain the consequences of their disobedience. And he outlines the damage that's done, uh, particularly between the man and the woman. Uh, When he says to the woman in verse 16, to the woman he said, Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. See, the woman's desire will be for her husband and he will rule. Uh, And this has broken the, the joyful relationship. That was created we saw in chapter 2 verse 18 that the the woman was created as the only helper suitable for the man that that wonderful complementary relationship that they were created to to, in distinct difference yes but equal value yes and they now the differences that were supposed to be a joyful complementary thing they're now an issue and and an object of division and pain as desires are twisted as rule is misunderstood and so the damage that is done between Adam and Eve then permeates through all humanity as, as, our own, as our own sinfulness seeks our own selfish desires. And so all of our relationships with others are damaged by that sin as we seek to have our own desires met, our own needs met, rather than serving the needs of others. And so rather than the created harmony, there's now discord and, and strife between human beings. So our relationship with God is damaged. Our relationship with others is damaged, and finally, then let's think of our relationship with the creation is fractured. And we see this through how God addresses Adam, from verse 17, where He says unto Adam, He said, Because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for, your, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. See, that what, what it intended to be joyful, caring, productive work in the garden, caring and tending to God's creation is now painful toil, exhausting work. So this all sounds terrible, doesn't it? This is the impact of sin, and it should sound terrible because it is terrible. See, compared to the bliss of Genesis 1 and 2 and that original creation, then this is awful. This is the effect of sin. And as humanity, this is our default state. As we thought of in Ephesians 2, we are all by nature deserving of wrath. Or as Romans 3, 23 picks it up, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, we have all sinned. We are all living under this curse. Even though we were created, we are sinful. And we all fall short of God's glory. And so we cannot be in His holy presence, now or for for eternity, without some kind of miraculous intervention. So humanity is created, humanity is sinful, but that is not the end of the story. I hope you are still listening. The story does not end with wrath. You see, God in his His bountiful wisdom and his wonderful justice, he has brought about his salvation plan, (laughs) meaning that the penalty of sin is dealt with, meaning that we can know forgiveness. It's what Christianity is all about. It's Jesus on the cross. We're going to celebrate this as we join in communion in a few minutes. But what Jesus accomplished for us enables relationship with God to be restored. See, we can be in his presence again, but only because of the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus takes that sinful state. He takes the penalty that was ours to pay, and he died. And in dying, he paid the price for us all in our place. But of course, as we've been singing this morning, he rose. He rose victorious, conquering sin, conquering death, conquering the grave. And therefore, he's made it possible for relationship with him to be restored. So that we can walk with our creator, God, again. See, those verses that we quoted earlier uh, from Ephesians 2, they go on. They don't stop there because that isn't the end of the story. So we read in Ephesians 2 that we were all by nature deserving of wrath at the end of verse 3. Then verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace we have been saved. Romans 3.23 goes on, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, yes, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we are offered salvation. We have been offered forgiveness. We have been offered life with Christ for now and for all eternity, and so we must choose it. Humanity must repent. We must turn from our sin and turn to Christ. If I can read Romans 5, verse 17, which speaks of this so beautifully as we consider the sin that came through Adam, yet the righteousness that comes through Christ. Romans five seventeen. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man. So that's the story of of Adam's fall, of humanity's fall, of sin. Death came through, through that one and came to all men. How much more, the verse goes on, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Let me read that again. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Christ has made a way. And so we must receive his provision of grace. We must confess our sins before him. We must receive eternal life that he is willing to give. And so he's calling us into life in him. And it means that we reject sin, we turn from sin, we turn to Christ, and we're with him for now and for all eternity. And the life that he calls us to, it it then then enlivens all that we've seen before. It, it, It enables us to know the reality that once again we are created. Yes, we are created and we're created to know our value. We are created to know that we are children of God through Christ. We are adopted into his family. That we have a purpose. Ephesians 2 goes on in verse 10 to say that we are created to do the, uh, created in Christ to do the good works which he has prepared in advance for us to do. We have value, we have purpose, but through Christ. We are sinful, yes, yet we are forgiven. We are being sanctified. Our relationship with God is restored as we are adopted into his family as we've seen. We're able to stand in his presence again. My mic just died. It's got too excited. We stand in his presence. We boldly approach the throne of grace. Don't make Boldly approach. <laughs> um, and so our relationship with God is restored. Our relationship with others is transformed as Christ's spirit indwells us. And then we work out our salvation. We, we then... Embod[y] the fruit of the spirit as he is in, at work in our hearts transforming us so that we then live and show and share the love of Christ. And so what sin means as discord, we bring peace because of what Christ has done for us. Our relationship with creation, we steward that creation. We live as ambassadors for Christ until we know that God will come in the new heavens and the new earth and make all things new. We know we need to repent and we can't. And joyfully in this room, many of us have. So let's live the life that Christ has called for us to live. Let us live the life that he has won on the cross for us to live. We know that we are created to know our value and our purpose. We know that, yes, we struggle with sin. Some of us still dearly struggle with sin. But our sin has been defeated. Let's walk in the victory that Christ has won for us. Let's cast our gaze to him turning, repeatedly turning from temptation and sin. And all of this is possible because of the cross. All of this is only possible because of the cross. It is of nothing to do with us. It is of no value or no merit of our own that we can earn our way to this. It is only and fully and blissfully and graciously in the life, death, resurrection, ascension and coming kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so we're we're going to celebrate communion. And I pray that as we do, that for many of us, we we may have done this many, many times before. I pray that this morning as we've recognized our sinful state without Christ, may communion take on a richer, more vibrant feel for us today. Not because we've created some emotional hype, but because we once again come to recognize the glorious sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf the depth to which we were, that we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, makes us alive in Christ. And so we're going to celebrate communion together as we do that. I'd I'd just like to pause and leave some time. I realize there have been lots of words spoken. And so we'd just take some time to reflect, to thank God for his work. Perhaps this morning actually you need to come to Christ as your Savior and your Lord. And I pray that this morning you would, as you see his loving arms stretching for you, as you see him on the cross, taking the penalty and the weight of sin so that you would know him, be rescued from a life of, of an eternity of judgment away from that, and rather that he would welcome you into life in him for now and for all eternity in his joyous presence.